0: Hello, my name is Christine Murray, Editor-in-Chief of The Developer, and welcome to The Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to design and develop cities worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings as much as the buildings themselves. So I think the easiest and best place to always start is with you introducing yourself okay. and what you do.
1: Okay. So uh, my name is Kevin Rush, and I am the Director of Regional Economic Growth for the Glasgow City Region. So that means I've got responsibility for driving forward the regional economy in in Glasgow. So that's an economy of 1.8 million people. So it's the largest and only metropolitan city in Scotland. Um, uh, About 34% of the Scottish economy based within within the city region. So I have overall responsibility for for taking that forward. And within that as well, I've got responsibility for the Glasgow City Deal, which is our main infrastructure programme across the city region.
0: So can we talk well, let's start with the city deal yeah. and where we are it's a 20 year program yeah. where are we in that program now
1: So we're 5 years in we've just we're going through our first gateway review which is where you give an assurance to the government's that uh, you're spending the money wisely and you're spending the money Um so we are very confident that uh, we've just been through the, the gateway process but but things are things are progressing well we've seen significant uh Development in a number of the sites, Site Hill being the most obvious one in the in the north of the north of the city, um, but a substantial number of projects across the the wider region. We've spent about two hundred million pounds of the the investment already, and it's a, it's a challenge for us because when I got this job two and a bit years ago, I was tasked to make the Glasgow City deal exciting, to go and tell people how great it is. And the problem is it's really not. It's one of the dullest things (laughs) imaginable. It is incredibly boring. And it's boring for a reason because a conscious decision was taken at that point. So we were given the the chance to put together an infrastructure programme of of over 1 billion pounds. And at that time in negotiations with the government, we had to demonstrate a GVA return. Now the easiest way for us to demonstrate a GVA return at that time would have been to address the market failure there was at the time in the city centre and build shiny office blocks for the private sector. That would have been the easiest thing for us, for us to do. But we took a much longer term view than that. We took a view that we should invest in creating the conditions for growth. So land remediation, improving connectivity across the, the region. And we're really starting to see the benefits of that. So site Hill is a, is, a, is a prime example of that. A brand new community which is going to be built just 10 minutes from from the city centre but previously an area of real real deprivation cut off from the city centre by a motorway that goes right through it so although it was 10 minutes away it would take you half an hour to, to walk into the to the city the land itself had been contaminated since the french revolution believe it or not um and as a result of that no one would develop on the land so we took the, the view that our citadel investment would go in underground creating the the conditions and the private sector investment would would follow. So what that's enabled is is over 250 million pounds project from a relatively small scale of public sector investment. And that to me is the kind of the way in which our our city deal works. So Sighthill is is really progressing incredibly, I think having seen it a couple of years ago, people are going to start moving to to homes there uh, next year an absolute transformation. And the bridge, the new bridge as well, which goes over the motorway and suddenly that means that people are connected into the city centre in a way that they never were before. So that, that's a really good example, I think, of, of how our city deal has been constructed and what I think we expect to see over the next five years as other projects similar to Site Hill throughout the, the wider city region progress.
0: And how will you measure the success of Site Hill? I mean, you've got the creation of more homes in this this connectivity for the new community, but are there other measures that you're going to look at um, as you reflect on yeah. whether, how that was spent?
1: So yes. So again, initially when we negotiated the deal, it was straight GVA. Straight GVA. UK government said, "Just yes, we'll give you the money and make sure you give us some economic benefit," which is which is fine. That can sometimes lead you down a certain, if you probably the pun, a certain road because. That tends to prioritise projects which are easier to demonstrate. GVA, they get prioritised because you're quite good at measuring them. We've started to get and I have to be honest, the Scottish Government have been have been good at driving us in this. We've started to get a bit more nuanced about inclusive growth. So how do you start to measure things which go beyond GVA? We've had flexibility now from the governments to say, okay, we still want to see some economic benefit from this, but we want to see participation from from different groups. We want to see public realm improvements, we want to see the things that actually can make a difference to people's lives over and above just just the um, GVA. So we've had some work done through um, we have an independent commission chaired by the principal of Glasgow University. And they've done some pilot work in Sighthill about how you measure inclusive growth in a in a brand new um, community. And that started to give us some of the metrics that we will start to use and track uh, over the next period. Obviously as I say it's still showing the governments that was economic benefit in case they're listening. Uh, but there are there are other ways that that we think uh, can actually have a more transformative long-term impact on in this city.
0: So I think that's that's worth um, kind of picking up, and somebody um, said in an interview the other week there's no such thing as um, an easy site anymore, and you know, Coach kind of supports They're all done, yeah, that's true. Uh, and uh, that supports this idea of investing in, in remediation or site remediation, yeah. but also um, around the kind of infrastructure that you need. And I know um, reading one of the blogs that you, you wrote uh, talking about how there is some deep rooted deprivation and pockets of deprivation yeah. in Glasgow and then there are overheated markets yes. that have really been sure. growing. Yeah. So how do you go about tackling that with um, with the city deal projects and what do you see as um, essential to kind of unlocking those areas?
1: So there are, there are different elements to that. So Glasgow as a region I think is probably unparalleled, certainly in the UK in terms of its contrasts. We're, we're the classic tale of two cities in just about everything. Um, we've had really strong GVA growth over the last 10 years and yet our deprivation, the most deprived areas in Scotland are here. The, the figures that came out last year showed that Greenock City Centre is the most deprived area in, in, in the country. So that economic benefit isn't isn't shared by by all of us. So we have a decision to make, which is what we have been thinking about with the deal, which is, there are some areas where you have to accept that the best way that you can help people there is to improve the connectivity from those areas into where those jobs might be. So that's improving public transport or, or even in some cases road links from, from those areas. But there are other parts of the, of the region where I think you have to take a more... Um, Uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Uh, interventionist approach where you go and say, okay, you're 45 minutes at least from from the city, you live in areas where car ownership is substantially lower than everywhere else, building a road there isn't going to make any difference. We need to understand how we can invest in the conditions there. So in Inverclyde, for example, which is where Greenock is, there are three Citadel projects that will do exactly that. They they invest in in the areas around there. One of them actually is to... uh, open up the cruise terminal market so to allow uh, overnight visitors now actually that's a classic project for us in the sense that with the best will in the world uh, American tourists are not spending the night in Greenock so they come in and that is something that they then travel to to here or to Edinburgh to the rest of the country but there's still a big economic benefit for for those for those areas so I think it's each part of our, our region understanding how it plays its part in the wider system. The reality is a lot of the jobs are now in city centres, that's the way in which economies are working. So we need to understand that in some cases that means improving the links to those areas rather than creating new economies which won't survive.
0: Everybody's talking about productivity and I saw this figure that Glasgow's increased productivity by 30% in the last decade. Correct. How? (laughs) Uh, what does it? I guess what does it mean to yeah. increase productivity? I suppose is one of the things. And why? You know why is Glasgow uh, managing to? I mean, it's expected to have higher productivity than Manchester, Liverpool, and Cardiff in a short number of years.
1: So. so the biggest uh, you will be aware the city's slogan is people make Glasgow. Um, the, the biggest strength and challenge for us is in our, our people if you like so our skills base is substantially higher than most other UK cities Um, so again going to, in terms of the UK core cities which is the 10 biggest cities out with uh, London um, only Bristol has a higher degree of um, graduates in the workforce so we're up about 45% of the workforce educated to degree level and in in Great cities like Manchester, Liverpool, Birmingham, it's down in the kind of low 30s. So that's a really big thing. And what that tends to mean is it drives slightly more productive sectors. So we're quite good in some of those sectors which have high productivity, like finance and business services. Creative industries as well is one that we're very strong. And a lot of that comes because we've got the skills base to, to sustain those. But at the other end, obviously, we have also, I think, the highest proportion of people with no qualifications whatsoever. Um, we're not a city that really does much in the middle you're one or the other here it would seem um but that productivity growth has largely been driven by the, the skills base that we have and the um two things one we've got some good sectors but also we've got quite a broad-based economy we're not reliant too much on individual sectors. So if you take a 10 year period, some really productive cities like Edinburgh suffered a bit in that period because they had real strength in financial services. So just now they're having boom again because of uh, financial services on its feet again. We were never as reliant on one sector as that. So that helped us sustain shocks that, that others couldn't.
0: The, um, you brought up shocks. <laughs> yes <laughs> and which one? <laughs> I mean it would be fair to say that um, brexit has renewed yes. the independence movement uh, in a way that perhaps it was hoped um, that a question was resolved which is now, uh an open question again let's just say um is that something that's of concern when you're looking at these these projects on a a short or long term or i mean whether we talk about independence or brexit or both together Mm. um when you're trying to look at resilience in the broader sense of the word how do you you tackle this kind of greater political um instability
1: so i think we've kind of got used to dealing with political instability over i mean it's become the new norm Mm. um and obviously the independence referendum was was a Scot- specific to, to Scotland in the run up to 2014. But actually the, the, the general sense of um, uncertainty, I think has been far greater during the Brexit process than it was in the run up to 2014. Um, I think in the run up to independence refer- referendum the first time, we didn't really see any drop off in terms of investment in the city. We saw a, a very small amount in the, two months prior to September 2014, but that righted itself two months afterwards. It was just a sense that people were just holding back to, to see what, what happened. Um, I think that the challenges that come with uh, Brexit and, and the negotiations we're in just now are probably more substantial for us than than independence. And I think if you look at over that, that period, um, I mean, even there's a lot of confidence still in the city. So even in 2016, what year is this, 2020? 2018, um, Barclays came and built uh, or announced Scotland's biggest ever investment on the, on the River Clyde, 7,000 jobs in, in the river in a, a high value sector. And that was with the twin uncertainty, as people would put it, of Brexit and, and independence, because I think there's there's a general sense that um, these things are are manageable and, and are managed. And it, it's not a city that in in crisis because we're constantly asking ourselves constitutional questions i think there's a sense that we're just getting on with with things and there's nothing really there's been no evidence to suggest that the market is is taking any cognizance of this now obviously i think if there was more of a sense of you know declarations of udi or something from scotland that might be a different uh, position but i think the, the general approach that the government is taking is, is relatively calm in that and is reassuring the markets so nothing that we can't handle
0: I think the the avenues is a really interesting project we've got cities across the the country talking about how um, you renew high streets, how you change the way that we yeah. think of our city centre. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that project and what it's doing and its ambitions. Yeah.
1: So the Avenues project, um, £150 million pounds from, from the city deal. Um, and it's about changing the way in which the city centre operates. Our city centre is built in a, a grid system, a kind of classic grid system, which is why we're quite often used for, for American movies. Um, but the Avenues project is about trying to reimagine how the, how the city can flow. How we can green the city centre in, in a different way to move away from the kind of traditional monoblock and cars travelling through the, the city that we have just now. And these things really matter. So, even at the start, when um, when we were prioritising GVA investment, there's a big economic benefit that comes from investing in public realm in the city centre, huge investment that comes from that. And at, at the time, um, it was someone from post office bank who who said to me that he was a Glaswegian based in London and he said you know you really need to do something to change the perception of Glasgow he said because I have colleagues who if they're coming up to Glasgow will say you know is it safe for me to to leave my hotel room at night and he said you know make me so angry I could wring their neck which kind of disproved his (laughs) point but I think (laughs) investing in in your city shows a confidence in it. I think it, and the avenues project in particular i think is, is really going to reimagine the way in which this the city centre operates that will then lead into other discussions about how cars start to flow throughout the the centre itself because we've got the grid system it's quite easy to to move cars it's quite easy to have a pretty one-way system throughout there but i think the policy aspiration is to start to look at maybe moving towards prioritization of, of pedestrians um and the avenues project so if, if you've been up at all obviously um, Suckey Hall Street, which I, I just noticed is, is mentioned in the previous edition of Developer, um, has had quite a challenge over the last few years, but the avenues project and the investment that's starting to enter the top of Sucky Hall Street is not just improving the way it looks, but it's, it's changing the way it operates, the, green, the greenery etc that, that's in there um, is, is hugely important. And again, just to the point about public sector investment, bringing private sector investment off the back of it. The Barclays development would not have happened without the Deal investment. You know, there's, there's no coincidence, the head of Deal, the, the head of the projects in here, Carol Connolly, is the the lead person for engaging with Barclays because they really want to see that public realm investment that's coming from the Avenues project because it makes such a huge difference to, to their workforce. So I think it showed a lot of confidence from us at the time to choose that as a project that, that assumed that other investment would come in off the back of it. And I think we're starting to see the benefits of that now.
0: For the green in the city, how much of um, that uh, decision or that kind of ambition, and I know there's the green network as well, yep. um, was that informed by the kind of air pollution, I know there's an air pollution issue in Glasgow, yeah. like in many cities, was that one of the inform- informing? So reasons? so
1: yes, I mean, uh, the most uh, polluted street and I told you we were a <laughs> city of contrast, Um the most polluted street in Scotland is, is Hope Street. Um, which is right in the heart of, of the city centre. So that has always led us to, so we've tried different things. We've tried, you know, trees, I, I don't even know what they're called. There was a, was like a tree panel thing that we we put up. Uh, within two days it looked dead. So there was a sense that whilst it was a good idea, I think the pollution was, was too much for it. So there's always been a sense that the city needs to do more, not just in terms of the look and feel of, of the city, but how we can tackle some of those those air pollution issues. There's other ways, of course, in which you can do that. And I think removing vehicles from the city centre is the, the best way that you're going to remove that pollution. But I think that the greening of the city, uh, I think has been quite important in that as well.
0: I saw that there was kind of mention of a, a Glasgow Metro. Yes. Uh, is that another... Idea. I mean, is that one of the barriers to removing cars from the city centre? Is just that the fact that mass transport is not absent, but is just at a a, a different level. So
1: absolutely, and um, sorry to to riff on a theme here about two cities. Um, Prime example of this as well. So Glasgow has the biggest rail. A suburban rail network outside of London, great rail system. No matter where you are in the, the wider region, you can get into the city. And yet, our bus usage has the biggest fall in Scotland. We've lost hundred million passengers in the last few years, and that's because the the network is just not good enough. There is not. It doesn't serve people's needs in, in the way that it can. And if you have aspirations to remove vehicles from the streets, <clears throat> it's fine to say that you're going to to think about you know, closing certain streets or having a low emission zone, etc. But the best way that you're going to change that behaviour is to give people a viable alternative. So the metro is, is absolutely in, in the, um, the 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 way in which we think that we can tackle big issues there. Particularly, so the Metro, I mean, I guess you don't know the, the wider region. It's aimed at the southwest of the region, so connecting the airport, the hospital, Brayhead Shopping Centre, the new National Manufacturing Institute for Scotland, which is going to have about 10,000 high value jobs out there. And a metro system that connects all of those up, I think will have a major impact in, in removing cars from the road. Now, it's not expensive, it's not cheap, sorry, I wish it was not expensive. Um. And we're in some discussions with the, the scottish government about how that could potentially be be funded but they do their what's called strategic transport projects review which announces the big projects that they will invest in in scotland and it's about this time next year they will announce that we have very much put the metro in the mix for that and the general feeling we have is that it's glasgow's turn uh, so they do this once every 10 years ago the one 10 years ago invested in the Queensferry crossing and the edinburgh to glasgow admittedly Um, rail line improvements but we think that this is a project of of such national significance that it's about time that that investment came to the the city
0: edinburgh had a lot of pain putting its trams in how painful would the metro be it's always nice to have
1: someone to learn from i think (laughs) (laughs) um i think that there's there's a lot of experience there that, that genuinely i think can be can be used i think that we would have to Work very closely with the National Transport Agent, Transport Scotland. In fact, I think we would be asking them to take a lead role in terms of the the project delivery. Um, I quite like the Edinburgh trams, to be honest. If, if I'd be honest, I, I do like them. I, I'm glad I wasn't involved in the development of them. But I think there's probably a lot of learning that that we can take from that. That helps inform this this project. One thing that we do need to to improve, you know, and obviously. These days, everything is viewed through the prism of, of climate emergency. But we do need to improve access to the airport. You know, if people are still going to fly, just now they fly, they get off. They sit in either private cars or taxis and are stuck in four-lane motorway traffic that goes nowhere. We're one of the very few cities that has no direct rail link to, to the airport. So the metro could do that, but rather than just having it straight from the airport to the city, something that serves a wider conurbation, I think, with a far greater impact.
0: Where did these bus passengers go?
1: We don't know. Um, we, we simply don't know. There's some elements that maybe you know changes in terms of how people work these days. So a bit more increase in in home working, but there's not a hundred million journeys worth of home working being done uh, these days. I think from from the feedback that we tend to get, it's that it, it's not a viable option for them. the traffic is too congested. It takes too long. The buses are not the best condition. Um, so they, they move on to other modes of, modes of transport. But what that tends to lead is, is an increase in congestion. So um, we had a connectivity commission last year that looked at what how the city should should function. They recommended the metro for us.
0: Has there been an increase in cycling?
1: So yes, there has been. But again, the infrastructure is not there to support it in a mass way. You know, the, the connectivity commission talked about prioritisation for um, active travel. So taking cars off the road and, and promoting cycling and, and walking but just now there, there simply isn't I mean I, would, I live in the south side of the, the city and would love to, to cycle in, but I'd be taking my life into my hands in, in some parts and that's a, a decision that, that's not easy to take but the commission itself looked at things like <clears throat> you know a bus in the city centre and a four lane road in the city centre a bus can move about 12,000 people an hour cars about 800 to 1000 so if we are clogging that up with cars, we're moving 12, 12 times fewer people. So there's, there's easy things for us to do there that we can, if we can try and make these alternatives a bit more attractive, but just now they don't seem to be particularly attractive for people.
0: Have you considered a kind of um, ultra low emission zone or some kind of congestion charging?
1: So we have a low emission zone. And Scotland's first low emission zone is in Glasgow. So it was introduced very competitive, are not it? So it was Scotland's first to be really the biggest. Really... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, eh, the first was was introduced eh, here eh, just at the tail end of twenty eighteen, um, and that's just now just focusing on local buses. Actually, in terms of low emission zone, as a four year transition period by 2022 it will be for all for all vehicles and that I think is very much been driven by so I mentioned Hope Street earlier on is the most polluted street in the country and that's heavily that's all the buses were down that street I think that's what led to so much of the pollution so this is the attempt to try and to try and tackle that so it's it's been looked at I think by the end of this year I think Edinburgh Dundee and Aberdeen will also have them in, in Scotland um but I think, you know, we won't actually really see the major benefits of that until 2022, I think, when it's all vehicles. because I think just now it's still a bit, a, a bit of a transition period.
0: Do you think COP26 coming here? I mean, it's quite a big deal having this, um, all the eyes of uh, yep. considering climate change are going to be on Glasgow. Yes. And it's quite soon.
1: It's quite soon, <laughs> yes.
0: So I don't know how much change that can bring in, but there must be the the, the desire at least to, to make some kind of announcement yep. or to have some kind of um, as the attention turns to Glasgow to have something to say. Yes. So it's a, is that a conversation that's happening right now? It's
1: absolutely a conversation that's happening just now. I think um, obviously the announcement in COP was, was just before Christmas. There'd been some work in the run up to that, but it was, you know, it was always quite soon. It was always, you know, you know 15 months maximum. So as we sit here just now, we're eight months, nine months until uh, it arrives. So a lot of discussions about what announcements might be, you know, the eyes of the world will be here, as, as you say. I think from our perspective, There's quite a lot that the city and city region is doing in sustainability there's a reasonable record for us to talk about but i think there's an aspiration to do a lot more and i think one of the most obvious areas for us to focus on particularly since cop will take place on it is the river so to do a lot more with with the river clyde the the river here i think is probably the in all sorts of ways the greatest untapped resource and Western Europe, probably. I mean, it's when you look at how other cities have used their rivers, we have never managed to, to do that effectively. Uh, so many issues with, you know, flood risk, etc. Uh, these days, but the river could be the absolute heart of the wider city region. It goes right from Inverclyde all the way across to South Lanarkshire, Names, which will mean nothing to, to you, um, but, but local areas that, that, that we have here. We could use that as a, as a source of energy. We could use it as, Development opportunities all along it to, to bring it to, to life and to, to vibrancy. So, we have, there's a piece of work that's ongoing just now to start to look at what that might look like. How do you do that? One of the, the first things you would want to look at is a tidal weir or a barrage. So, something that's similar to the smart canal on a much grander scale, but allows you to control the water flow. How do you ensure that it suddenly is a prime location because it's not going to flood? Because just now, the guidance and pretty much all of it is you can't build anything on the ground floor there because it's at risk of risk of flooding and it's a city where it rains quite a lot so you need to be kind of mindful of of that so, but i think in the run-up to cop i think the river will cont- will be probably our greatest focus to start to to think about bringing it back into more productive use
0: do you think that i mean you mentioned smart canals we were talking about it it's really quite an incredible yeah. project and again another example of of using um you know, quite tricky infrastructure to unlock yeah. an area that couldn't be built on before. Yes.
1: So the Smart Canal, it's, it's besides Site Hill, actually, that, that I mentioned earlier on. So it's a way of effectively using technology to uh, remove excess water. So it was initially from the North Glasgow Integrated Water Management System, which was part of the Metropolitan Glasgow Strategic Drainage Partnership. They finally settled in Smart Canal, which I think we we're all delighted about. <laughs> um, so it's a way in which you can you can manage excess, excess water. So you have a couple of pools that can take excess water away, uh, or you can you can open kind of sluices, if you like, to, to take water away into the to the River Clyde. And what that means is that part of the city, which was quite prone to, to flooding, uh, is now will not be because we, we can manage it in quite an intelligent way not massively expensive investment but again that sense that it suddenly brings to life a whole area that, that was never able to be developed on at all the excess we can take i think it's 22 olympic sized swimming pools worth oh. of, of rain which is how we measure rain in glasgow <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's a good thing for us to have and i think it's something that would be pretty useful i think for for other cities to learn from because we're not unique in having having these issues and i think it's, it's a, a genuinely transformative project
0: but the river remains a bit of a risk is would you say that's the primary climate uh, risk facing um Glasgow or i mean it seems strange to say it but is it overheating a, an issue <laughs>
1: um i guess an issue for all of us i mean i think the the, the Paris Summit. I think it was was it three three degree increase in temperatures over over this century, so I mean I think it, it it will be an issue for us, but I think you know only in the sense that it may lead to increased rainfall, which I think is something that we are more at risk of than anything else. So it's it's not if I was thinking about climate climate risk and climate challenges, it's it's there but possibly not the the highest.
0: Mm-hmm. I um. I was reading uh, again, speaking to your point about extremes, um, that Glasgow had the the lowest life expectancy in the UK, which is a pretty terrible statistic.
1: Yeah, it's not great. Not massively pretty. Not.
0: Is that something that you're actively considering with the city deal? And I, I don't even know how you begin to to um, unpick how uh, city development can help with life expectancy. But, um, but maybe you do, it would be
1: good to hear. Okay, um, so we've made great strides in this in the last few years, and, and what, again, we're even within our city region, a real contrast, so there's always a figure given, and I'm not going to get the, the numbers right, so I won't try them, but chap in the northwest of the city has very, very low life expectancy. If you hop over the border to Bears Den, which is a, 10 minute walk if that life expectancy increases by 14 15 years it's incredible so quite clearly the, the biggest indicator of or the biggest driver of um, of low life expectancy is poverty that's that's the thing that if we can if we can challenge that and of course development can make that big impact in poverty if you can improve people's living circumstances if you can improve their connectivity to where jobs are and get them meaningful work there are other aspects of the city deal which aren't, aren't infrastructure related as well so we had something called the working matters program which was an employability program to help people back into work and this is these were people who due to changes in the benefit system you know in many cases hadn't worked really ever and were now assessed as fit for work. We had someone who was on that programme who was unemployed for, I think, 48 years, which barely seems possible, now assessed as, as fit for work. But the average period of unemployment was about 13 or 14 years. So really difficult to reach groups. And if you can make a difference to, to those people that's when you can make the impact on those kind of entrenched challenges that, that we have so absolutely i think the city deal either through the labor market project or through you know if you take Sighthill as an extreme example the people who lived there before will have the chance to go back if that's what they wish. Now, their homes have been away for, for some time, so many of them will have moved to other areas. But if they do choose to move back, they will be moving back to an area which encourages a way of life that's completely different from what they, they had before. They won't be isolated from in the way that they were before. And that will have a major impact on, on life expectancy within, within the city. So absolutely, I believe that what we're doing can have that impact.
0: So many cities are now struggling with this idea of people having been left behind when regeneration projects have yep. come to an end. Yep. Um, and certainly, you know, that's something that um, London does a lot of soul searching at, but also it's something that um, other cities who are even partway through the regeneration um, journey are kind of thinking thinking about and considering projects that maybe didn't deliver the promise to the citizens that they yeah, said sure. they would. So I guess... That's I, I don't know what the the question in there is, um, but how you know I, I guess there is has been a, a loss of trust amongst um, the people about um, the the great promises that that we make and how much we can deliver them yeah so how do you um reach out to those uh communities build that covenant of trust and show that you're delivering
1: so it's a good question and it's one that as we move into project delivery i think the teams are aware of i think so there was some criticism not just of our city deal i think of all city deals about the way in which projects were selected the sense that it was done away from communities people weren't involved in the, the decision and the nature of doing a deal was was such that, that people felt excluded from that process i think what's important now is to make sure that we don't replicate those mistakes we move into project delivery so i i've given site hill as an example several times but the, there's a serious I amount mean, of community engagement work that's going on there to make sure that people feel included with the the, deli- the project as it delivers to ensure that what ultimately comes because there's still scope to, to change how a project looks and feels to make sure that people are people are listened to. Um, and I think it is something the individual teams are, are really keen to do. I'm
0: thinking about um It's COP twenty six. We're kind of what fifteen months down the road from now. Is it fifteen? No, 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 eight months. Eight eight months down the road. No, I think it's nine. I think it's nine. Nine nine. months away. Don't scare me. Nine months. (laughs) cop Twenty six is born. um,
1: Well, Trump may come, so it's nine months. Trump's here.
0: Greta Thunberg's here. What do you hope they? I mean, you talked about people being um, scared to go out of their hotel rooms at night. (laughs) (laughs) What do you hope they walk away? I mean, maybe you don't hope Trump walks away talking about Glasgow. It's never a good idea. But, uh, <laughs> what do you hope the, the the eyes that come and turn to Glasgow? Um, what opinions they they'll form?
1: So uh, I'm sure that I'm sure they'll go away with an opinion that it's, it's a city that's more than capable of hosting an event of this size. I mean, that's. It's, it's something that we are very comfortable doing, so I'm sh- I hope they go away for a start with, with that. But I think in terms of the wider world, I, th- I would hope that they go away with a sense of a city that is grasping the opportunity to uh, position itself, I guess, at the forefront of, of tackling climate emergency. There are some incredibly um, ambitious targets from this city about uh, net zero. Uh, so, you know, the carbon neutral and net zero by 2030. Um, you
0: make a face like you know exactly how you're going to tackle. <laughs> There's some
1: some work to be done just to to uh, to work those things out, but I think you know again a feeling that if, if the city comes together in partnership with the universities and, and others, we can get to, to those ambitious targets. There's no point. Glasgow was one of the first to to declare a climate emergency. We had extinction rebellion on our climate emergency working group, so we're not hiding from the challenges. We are we're asking the the people who will give us a hard time to tell us what we need to do. Um, so when you start to think in an economic development sense about a just transition to a new economy, we're just about to understand how many jobs we think that we need to, to help us uh, in those technologies of, of the future. So I really hope that by the time COP comes around, the people who are either here, pe- people who are here have a good time, that's generally what you, you expect from when someone leaves Glasgow, but the people who are watching, have a sense that it's a city that's that's more than taking this seriously it's doing something about it
0: net zero for construction is a, is a huge challenge yes i mean when you think about just construction vehicles and yeah. material resourcing and um even site remediation mm-hmm. or um, yeah the whole nine yards not even looking at um emissions from the buildings <laughs> during their lifetime which perhaps is the bit that we understand the best. Yes. Um, what are you looking at uh, in terms of construction or starting to think about now with those deadlines looming and you know how much is is an offsetting uh, kind of being relied on as part of that, part of that <laughs> plan?
1: At the moment quite heavily I think offsetting is you know obviously I think the way in which it's easier for us to conceptualize as well. I think it's it feels as though obviously the declaration of a climate emergency has just transformed the way in which suddenly people ask these these questions and i think there eventually is going to have to be a trade-off between cost and carbon neutrality because i think the the cost even never mean construction vehicles, but even the cost of an electric bus is so, so much higher than, than a normal one that eventually we're going to have to take decisions on on these things. So just now there's a lot of discussion about offsetting. There's a lot of discussion within the city in particular. The city has six golf courses that it owns, the council, which they're currently looking at options for. Um, options
0: to plant them with trees. Well, that,
1: that's one of the things that I think they need to, to consider. And that, that again goes back to that question about you need to take the decision because some of them are in pretty prime locations so they would be perfect for housing sites but you take the decision well rather than a housing site in that area we will plant a forest. Um, these I think are the, the tough decisions that are going to have to be taken over over the next few years because otherwise we're just saying that it's an emergency and not actually doing anything about it. Um, so these are kind of live examples of decisions that I'm glad to see are not mine to take.
0: <laughs> but you probably do have to look at modern methods of construction prefabrication. Yes, yeah. fabrication. So a lot
1: of that yes, yeah. so, I mean we've done a lot of work with things like construction Innovation center and others to, to look at um, some more modern ways that we can we can construct buildings. These all come these all come with a cost and that's what we need to to understand because the city deal is great. is is great, it's not that much money, and we've committed to a programme of investment, so if in those the cost increases because we're looking at new ways of doing things which are carbon uh, neutral, or at least less carbon positive, then we need to understand does that mean that we don't do other things that we were going to do before because there's a finite amount amount of money.
0: Or is it that you start to say, well if we take all those cars off the road or we take these buses off the road... Yes then that offsets
1: perhaps our construction yes Uh so there's other ways so i mean if we were to not to make a pitch again for a metro but if we get a metro that'll take a lot of cars off the road i would say that offsets a lot of construction work
0: well i think i've asked you all my difficult questions (laughs) (laughs) i mean i think it sounds like a hugely exciting time for the city and i i think I think that, you know, that coming back, I had put the Clyde kind of all over my my notes as well, that sense of the river, which is so central to the identity of Glasgow yeah. and its history, yeah. but perhaps doesn't have that grand role anymore. Yeah. Um, so I think it'd be interesting to see how it can kind of regain that. Yeah, that status.
1: Yes, I think you almost don't realise that it, that flows. It, oh, it's a bad pun. You don't realise that it goes it goes through the wider region. So, within a mile of the river, there are about five hundred thousand people living. So that's the size of Edinburgh who live within half a mile of, of the the river are three innovation districts that have emerged all happen to be within touching distance of the, the river. There's one just outside the Glasgow City Innovation District, the Riverside Innovation District and the Advanced Manufacturing Innovation District. All happen to take you along the, the, the river itself. So without even realising it, it does connect parts of, parts of the city I mentioned. COP, which is going to be at the SEC complex, which sits in the river. BBC Scotland sits in the river. All of these things which we don't really join up in any meaningful way, that have still substantial amounts of of, uh, vacant and derelict land along along it. Um, If we could do something right along there, I think we could really, really transform this region.
0: Is there a river transport service? Uh,
1: No, there's a very, very minor man who goes out and rescues people who jump in it. So we can cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> No, and actually part of the reason there is because of the, the depth of it in certain areas, because we can't control the the flow uh, as well. So that's again something that we're looking at whether or not there's capacity to to change the way in which it operates, that so there would be a river transport service that brings you right into the to the city. Uh, we're also building a bridge across it for the city deal, which has to open and close to allow uh, ships to, to travel it, which is now we don't use it in that way at all, no.
0: Uh, I just want to ask what it means to have an innovation center do, do you get a special discount for basing yourself there or uh, no no uh,
1: <laughs> so it's I guess it's, it's the idea of a cluster of of in in most cases actually public private and academic sectors so bringing together a a kind of honeypot idea that that you you build an innovation district which has a lot of work done by brooking institute and what an innovation district uh, might look like but you bring together people who kind of crash ideas off of one another and become centers of excellence so just just here at Strathclyde University, the the GCID, um, they have got the UK's first Fraunhofer Institute, which is kind of, um, and they've got some advanced manufacturing uh, stuff. They also have uh, Clyde Space, who are satellite manufacturers. We build more satellites than any city outside Silicon Valley, which no one knows about about Glasgow. Similarly, down at um, the Riverside Innovation District, it's it's based around the Southern General Hospital, the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital. So real strengths in life sciences and precision medicine, there are huge advantages. There. But what they tend to be is a kind of cluster, an area where people will go in and work with other people within the wider district.
0: What's the city's role in creating that honeypot effect?
1: So, different in different areas. So, we put some money in through the city deal to the, the Glasgow Riverside Innovation District and the Advanced Manufacturing Innovation District, which is in Renfrewshire, also was. Uh, spurred by Citadel funding. Uh, just now, the, the GCID has the Tontine building, which was also funded from Citadel, a business accelerator. But we're also looking at additional funding for that through a uh, growth accelerator model fund. Uh, so, I, again, we feel as if our role is to be supportive and provide some stimulative capital, I guess, which, which helps to, to build it. But the universities and the main are the drivers of them.
0: So who comes up with the idea first or is it kind of in partnership? It's in far?
1: partnership. So in, in all of those cases, there's a kind of an oversight board, which is a partnership between the university and the city.
0: And does every university want one?
1: Everyone wants one, yes. But I think you can't you can't say you have one without actually having something to back it up or else people wouldn't take it seriously. And I think in both of the, the city universities and both the city innovation districts, they have it's a bit like you know in a Scottish context we're keen to do more work collaboratively with Edinburgh because they're quite different economies they're quite different cities they've got different offers and and on a global scale Neither of us is quite big enough to, to seem like a big city. But put the two of us together and you get 3.3 million people. That's that's of, of scale. And it's a bit like that with the universities here. They have different strengths in different areas. And that means that, as I say, life sciences down at the at Glasgow University and advanced manufacturing and, and space and uh, digital health and others at, at Strathclyde, they have a track record of, of delivery, which I think means that it's a bit more meaningful than just saying we're an innovation district.
0: I never really expected you to say that Glasgow and Edinburgh wanted to work. Well, we do. Closely. <laughs> <laughs> no, but we have had
1: some, have some kind of discussions with them, and I think, as I say, we're only again, you know, if, if you look at the Northern Powerhouse, etc., in, um, in England, you're only 40 minutes away from, from Edinburgh. There's no distance between the two of us. We, we will go to you know, inward investment events. but the best one in the world, people are, people talk about Scotland, maybe, but they don't talk about the individual, the individual cities. So we need to recognise that there are real strengths, there are areas in between there that serve both economies. But we don't compete because we are, we are quite different. We're much bigger. Um, but but they, have a, they have a really strong, high-value economy, as I mentioned earlier on. So I think there are strengths in us promoting that wider conurbation that actually might benefit both of us, rather than being in any sort of competitive environment.
0: And you know, after all, most places in London, you know, it takes you 40 minutes to get there. Well, to.
1: precisely. Yes, exactly.
0: exactly. Well, I think that's um, been really great talking to you today. Well, thank you very much.
1: Thank for... you. <laughs> Good.
0: This podcast has been brought to you by The Developer. Produced by Simon Mercer. with Music by Fortet. I'm Christine Murray, and you can reach me on Twitter at at TCMurray.